so let me, let me quickly share with you and get this set up. It's going to take about an hour to run through the whole thing. Um, but it, it, we think you find it valuable. But I, I, let, let's get some setup on this. Uh, first, this is the name of the book that, that set me on this quest about it. I didn't get, we didn't get the exercise from this book. But uh, Warren Berger, not the Supreme Court Justice of the United States, by the way, a different guy, right? Um, he wrote a book called A More Beautiful Question. And that's from an E.E. E. Cummings poem that for, 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 for every answer, a more beautiful question exists. A, a great E.E. E. E. Cummings uh, poem. And uh, he said this, and I, just, I think this is just fantastic. Great products, companies, even industries, often begin with a question. Yet few companies actually encourage questioning in any substantive way. There are no departments or training programs focused on questioning, no policies, guidelines, best practices. On the contrary, many companies, whether consciously or not, have established cultures that tend to discourage inquiry in the form of someone's asking, for example, why are we doing this particular thing in this particular way? And I think this is extraordinarily profound, this notion that we, we don't talk about how do we ask better questions in our lives, in our businesses. So what this exercise is designed to do is perhaps help you. Well, why is this important? Well, because of what this guy said. This, Eric Hoffer, if you haven't read any Eric Hoffer, strongly recommend it, H-O-F-F-E-R. He was a, a longshoreman out of the port of Long Beach, was it, or San Francisco? San Francisco. And became a self-taught philosopher. And it, he uttered this, which I think is one of the most brilliant quotes ever, and that is, is that language was invented to ask questions. After all, answers can be given in grunts and gestures, but questions must be spoken. Humanness came of age when we asked the first question. I love this part. Think about what's happening now. And this was in the 60s he was writing. Social stagnation results not from a lack of answers, but from the lack of the impulse to ask questions. And if, if you think that's, I think that's what's happening politically throughout the world is we keep coming, we keep asking the same questions over and over and over and expecting a different answer. And of course that's why I think Einstein's definition of insanity, right? Asking the same question over and over, expecting a different answer. So what, but the default value for many people is, well, let's, let's come up with better answers. And that's what politicians do. They come up with 17-point plans, and this is my better answer. Right? The problem is I don't think we need better answers. I think we need better questions. I think we need to, to develop and reframe questions, and that that will be a better way to potentially look at, what the, at some of the challenges we face in this world. Because by the way, and, and Ron and I always talk about this, from an economist standpoint, there are no solutions to complex problems. There are only trade-offs. Right? There are no solutions. So first of all, any politician who's telling you, hey, I have the solution to the complex problem, they should, you, know, they, you should not vote for them. Of course, the problem is, most people will only vote for people who say they have solutions. Because I've tried it. I've tried to get elected in the state of Texas, and I said, I don't have any answers. <laughs> I, I don't have the answers. I just have a, a, a notion that we should be asking better questions. Right? And the guy went nowhere. <laughs> so that's a bit of a challenge. Okay. Um, 
I want to talk a little bit about great questions and then at the end of the exercise I'm going to come back and share with you some of some of the great questions that I have come across and developed over my time, but it'll be after the exercise. But I just want to give you some a framework to, for thinking about great questions. What do great questions do? I, and I love this part. Great questions create a distinction from the past. They create that, hey, there's, there is a potential future that is somehow different and somewhat better, not perfect, not an answer, but is somehow better than the past. So a question in and of itself a well-framed question makes that explicit. One of the really neat things about uh, is that sometimes questions, yeah, so this is the, I'm going to jump in here, the bottom one, the second to bottom one. Some great questions have an impact even if they're left unanswered. Just the very fact that you ask a question can have an impact on people, right? Even if they don't share an answer with you. And I think that uh, Dan was talking about that earlier. Like, what charity? What charities do you do, do you subscribe to? Is a really interesting question to ask someone who, on an intake form, from a customer perspective, even if you leave the answer blank, right? Uh, give permission for unpopular answers. So if it's a, if it's a, so, this gets to setting up the question, making sure that if you're you're giving a, a question that you really think you want an, a valid answer to, you have to give permission to give people a, a, answers that you're potentially not going to like, or that that people are not going to like. Uh, I love like this: avoid advice and replace with curiosity. There are people who ask questions, but it's really advice in the background, right? And I've seen far too many consultants and people do that. After they present a solution, they'll ask a question like, well, what do you think of that? Right? It's, a, it's the equivalent of saying, so enough about, enough about me. Let's talk about you. What do you think of me? <laughs> right? So are we creating those questions? Um, engage people in an intimate way. Questions are, are, really great questions are intimate, and I use that word specifically. They can potentially make people uncomfortable, right? And this is my favorite statement about leadership, but it also has to do with questioning too, and that is that great questions confront people with their freedom. It conf actually confronts people with their freedom. This is where I have to go into this notion that freedom and accountability are the same thing, right? And there's a big problem in business where we say, oh, we, we want, we, have, have you heard of this? We need these people to become accountable. Or how do we increase the accountability? How do we get people to be accountable? Have you heard all this kind of language around this? Right? You don't. You don't get people to be accountable. By definition, accountability has to be chosen by someone. It cannot be imposed. Right? You can impose compliance but not accountability, right? We choose to be accountable to our spouses, to our children. We choose that. It's a choice that we make, right? And we choose to go to work every day because it's not, we're not imposed by the man. And where I learned this, <clears throat> and it took me 20 years to understand the lesson. This is a great understanding that knowledge does not equal understanding. I had the great privilege once, I, I mentioned to, to some of you that I had a, a minored in theater. Uh, and it was very specifically musical theater. And I had the great privilege of, of playing a, a character called Pippin. If those of you are familiar with the musical, Pippin is an everyman kind of character. 
right? Pippin, Pippin uh, is looking for the meaning of life throughout this musical comedy, right? And he does, he goes to war with his father, he gets into drugs and sex and alcohol and all of this stuff, and even gets power, you know, kills his father, who mysteriously comes back from the dead. It's a very weird kind of situation. But Pippin is searching for the meaning of life, and at the end of the show, uh, Pippin is stripped bare of, with, with, of everything but, the, but, but you know, basically a shorts and a t-shirt, and they take the set away, they take everything away, right? And he's, he's just left there. Uh, and he has this lyric that he sings. And I've, I've sung this lyric hundreds of times in rehearsal and all of this stuff. And I, and I understood it, but I really didn't get it, right? And this is the lyric. It's, I'm not a river or a giant bird that soars to the sea. But if I'm never tied to anything, I'll never be free. If I'm never tied to anything, I'll never be free. If I don't choose to be accountable to people, somehow in some way, I lack freedom, right? So freedom and accountability are the same thing. And great questions confront people with that freedom to choose. It invites them to create a new possibility. I think that's a, a framing. And then last one, expresses that change is difficult and unpredictable, right? Change is difficult and un unpredictable. And worse still, that's just change. Change is the physical nature of it, but the transition, which is the emotional response, is even more unpredictable, right? We can, every single one in this room can, can change very easily, but your emotional response to that physical change, that's really the tough part, right? And that's the nature of it. So I uh, want to take you through now. Uh, this exercise. You're going to need paper, right? So if you get, make sure you get this out. This is going to be done as an exercise as, as an individual and then as a group. This is called a Q-force, right? Q-force, Ron? I think I got it right. The Q-force questioning technique, right? So it's about question development. So I'll take you through. So here are the ground rules for this. You're going to write each question down. You can't just think about it. You got to write it, all right? So get your pen ready. I prefer you not type it in until the very end. We'll talk about that. I want you to write it. I want you to write it down. Write them down. Questions only. Do not answer the questions. Right? This is like Jeopardy. <laughs> okay? Make sure you're only writing down questions, and they must be in the form of a question. They can be both closed probe and open probe. Let me just quickly explain that. We talked about it the other day, but for those of the benefit of you who are not here, questions can be closed probe. Do, would, should is designed to solicit yes or no answers. That's totally fine. Or more open probe questions, who, what, when, where, why, how. Either type of question is completely valid as long as it is a question. And then finally, do not stop. Keep thinking until time has expired. And yes, this is going, unlike the real quick things that we've been doing earlier with the two minutes, two minutes, this one might seem like really long, right? Because I want you to keep pushing your brain. Keep pushing your brain for deeper questions each time. All right? Everybody understand the, the ground rules? Does that make sense to everybody? What we're going to do? Is everybody ready to write? Awesome. Okay. Yep. Yes. Yes, yep, yep. I, I, but, so, yep, I haven't given you the process yet, I've just given you the ground rules. All right. <laughs> All right, so here's the ground rules. All right? 
and, and I'm going to build the process. So you're not going to get all of the process at once. I'm just going to reveal it to you as we build it. So here's step one of the process. Individual. So as an individual, you are to write down as many questions as you can in response to the following statement. Okay? Ready? Five minutes on the clock and go. Torture can be justified. Step two. Share with your group your questions. I'm going to suggest that the three of you join this group so that there's six in the group. Okay? So if you, if you wouldn't mind doing that, it'll be a little bit easier. Share with the group your questions and, and see if as a group then you can develop any other additional questions from that. Go. You got five minutes for that. I'm going to give, uh, give your tables uh, letters. So this is, this is going to be table A, table B, table C, table D in the middle, table E, table F. All right. Uh, we're going to go in order of the letters, and then what I'm going to ask you to do, you guys report out first, so, and, and while you're reporting, but if you guys want to get a jump start on it, what I'd like you to do is someone in your group just type, um, you know, if you're at group F, F1 and your question, F2 colon your question into the thing, all right? But let's, well, you guys are going to, you know, pay attention and report. You can multitask. All right. So who's going to report out from this group? So I'm just, Mr. Kite. So I'm just saying the questions. Saying the, or actually, the you can even have a conversation about what you, like, what the, it, your experience okay. with it and all that. But ultimately, we want to hear your three questions. Okay. Yeah. Um, well, I'm just, I'm going to burn through the, the questions. And so the, the first question uh, that we had was, uh, does this exercise constitute as torture? <laughs> um, <laughs> however, that was, that was through. That was thrown out because that's a smart-ass question. But, uh, and by the way, I hate to tell you this, it's not the first time, it's, believe it's it or not. not I, so, so then the answer is implied. Uh, the, uh, but no, uh, I can't read Tim's handwriting. But, uh, the, question, but the, uh, the question that he had that was, that was super provocative was uh, science, it's been scientifically proven that torture does not yield accurate information from the per person being tortured so why do people continue to torture people from whom they want to extract information okay so that's a that's a that's that question another question we had was uh was this the question and, I, and I, when you put that in disregard the the the, the preamble yeah yeah should, okay you're such a marketing guy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it wasn't your yeah, question. Yeah, he knows, he knows okay. his question. But, but you see, because that, that's a positive answer, right? That's a positive answer in, in, embedded in the question. Oh. Right? So well, it would, would it okay. just be, we'll re read the end of it again. It would, uh, why do people continue to torture if, uh, since science has shown that you get that would be bad fine. intel? Right. Yep. Okay, yep, yep. gotcha. Okay. Another question was, uh, when did you start experiencing this pain? Which, which was, which, which we decided we really liked that question because it, uh, the, the whole idea of torture for one of our people at our table was more the whole idea of torturing yourself of like, I'm, it, I mean, it wasn't taken as kind of like mm -hmm. terrorism torture, or like some black ops, you know, thing in Istanbul, yeah. but it was, no, it's like, it's like, no, I beat the shit out of myself all the time. And <laughs> when did, so when did I start experiencing that pain? So that was, that was good. Another, another question that we loved was why is this statement in red? Okay. Based on based on uh -huh. your your slide because that was 
I mean, I mean, again, just our the 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 reason that seemed like an interesting question was we're still trying to figure out why you're making us do this. But also, there was a there was a very clear that that's not the default color. Uh So there's also some questions of psychology. If it wasn't something that you labored over to say this is the correct color, but there was a reason why you why you chose that and that sort of thing. Yeah. Right. No, it's so, a great example of also playing the game, the game within the game. Right. Exactly. Too. So good yep. job. Good exactly. job in doing you know your own stuff. Thank so you. That's I, good. So <laughs> do I, does anybody else from this table want to comment on the conversation or anything like that? We don't have to. It, no. Good. Okay. Let's pass it on to, to just pass it on to somebody at B there. Bill. <clears throat> okay. So we actually cheated and had four. Um, <laughs> Under, uh, so the first one was under what circumstances should it be justified or legal? Um, you say torture can be justified when and how. Right. Um, number two, are there alternatives? What are the alternatives uh-huh. um, that we might want to consider besides that? Number three, um, is there only one universal value system for humanity? Or is there another value system that we may want to consider when we're ask, asking that question? Mm-hmm. And finally, just very simply, how does one define torture? What How does it, one define what torture? What is it? Yep. So. Any other any thoughts from that group on the on the exercise itself or? Um, as Greg alerted to, it was a bit torturous, uh, but <laughs> yeah. um, but but a, a great exercise. Um, I I read that book, uh, a more beautiful question as well, and uh-huh. it's just uh, this idea that we don't have answers, but that the answers can be found in asking better questions. Yeah is a really powerful one. Yeah, it's the only book I know that actually has an index of questions. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the index is, the, is, is questions, not, not the index of topics. It's an index of questions. OK, uh, going that way, C. Yep. OK, so our questions are, when is the justification for torture absolute? And question two, can we achieve the same uh, with alternatives to torture? And the third is, what is the impact of torture on the torturer? Mm. Okay. Any other thoughts from that table? That's good. Oh, John's got something. Yep. Just the longer we went, the questions got uh, got yep. better. They st- in each of us, I think that you know our first questions were pretty basic. Then the longer time we had, became mm-hmm. more sophisticated. You know, existentialistic. Yep. Did you notice like questions about the questions, and you were getting second and third order questions as you progressed through? Sure did. Yep. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Okay, so our questions were what would you do to avoid torture? Mm-hmm. Would you torture a child? And would you be the person to decide to torture someone? Say that one again. Would you be the person to decide to torture someone? So Okay. If you were picked, mm-hmm. would you, or, or would you stick your right. hand up and say, yeah, okay, I'll do the torturing? Got it. Okay. The interesting three pro- closed probe questions from you guys. Yeah. Okay. Cool. A- any other comments from the group? Well, we had our own, uh, Steve and I had our own personal torture as we're surrounded by attorneys and we're CPAs. So our, <laughs> ours were very. <laughs> Very basic questions, and then we turn it over to uh, the legal team, and they parcel it down. Yeah, to and there was no was number moved. in this for you at all. No, right? We, <laughs> our questions were eliminated early on in the process. It's a global 
Eso ya. Do I need to stand? Uh, yeah, whatever. You're yeah, good. Uh, is torture about hurting someone or getting what you want? Uh, what type of torture does this apply to? And then what are the consequences of preventing torture? Mm, what are the consequences of preventing torture? Wait, one, another one that was very provocative. Who determines what is just? Mm -hmm. Okay. Any other comments from that group on the exercise? No? All right. Fair. Daniel. Oh, okay. Well, <clears throat> we came up with two final questions. The first one was, was the destruction of Alderaan torture? <laughs> well, Princess Leia had uh -huh. to make a choice. She uh -huh. gave up something of non-value, and they still destroyed uh -huh. the planet. Yeah. Right? And it disturbed the force. And okay. That was after we had a conversation that was the torture of Jesus, that Jesus endured, justified. Mm-hmm. And we had a long conversation about whether the, what the Romans... Additional things that we talked about, certainly we went through the who justifies, who defines, what could we do, and then we, we, we started to delve into mice in medical experiments, Okay. and then that led to the Wild Kingdom, and we decided that Alderaan was the best question that we could come up with. Awesome. What was that? It's just a movie. Oh. Just a movie? The next one's coming out on December 15th. Um, yeah. Sponsored by Nissan, apparently. So I saw the commercial last night. All right, cool. Okay, congratulate yourselves. That's a difficult exercise. And even better, we're going to do it again. Oh. All right, stay with us, though. Stay with us, though. Uh, and, uh, I forgot to make an announcement, by the way. Um, Il Duce, that's our pet name internally at, at Veris H for Ron. <laughs> has decided that he wants to go last today. So what we did is he was supposed to go after this exercise, so we've actually moved him down to between 4 and 5 o'clock. So everyone that I said was beginning at 3.30 is now 2.30, right? So you guys, with the, you're going to be on at 2.30, all right? And then the, 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 I think there's six participant debt talks, so six-minute debt talks, they will start at 3 o'clock and go 3, three, and then we'll finish that up at 4, and then Ron will go on at 4. All right, so that's a, an adjustment to the schedule. Schedule, sorry. There are more real English speakers in this room, I think, <laughs> than American speakers, so I should really conform to my audience. Yeah? Oh, okay, great, 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 super. All right, thank you. I'm glad I said that now. <laughs> I meant to say it right after, after lunch, but um, hopefully he, he grabbed a nap. Okay, uh, we changed this, the, the, changed this question just before the exercise here, right? The, the, this, is, this, this can torture be justified is to just get you used to this process, right? We're now going to give you a statement that we think is germane to what it is that you do. And what we found when, we were have, when we've test piloted this is if you go immediately to the stuff that's important to you, it, the exercise breaks down early. Because your, your brains are not warmed up for the thinking part of it, right? So this one was just, I, I assume here none of you have been actually tortured, well, maybe divine torture, right? <laughs> but, you know, but so, so there, this was a little bit more abstract. This is going to make it more real for you, 
right? So it's the same exercise, same time frame. So let me just bring this up here. We did the report out. Okay, great. So ground rules again, right? Just keep these in mind. Uh, try to keep it to questions. The, the, I just want to make a comment. It's not, not wrong, but as this table is working, working this stuff through, even in, in your conversation, try to keep getting back to questions rather than positing facts that you are not, facts not in evidence, attorneys, right? <laughs> right? So just like pro, pro, pro work your way through that to just, just concentrate as best you can on the questions. It'll, it, I think it'll make, make the, it better. Okay, so, here, so here's the same process. We're going to have five minutes on the clock. Ready? Here's your statement. Value is a feeling, not a number. Share with the group, develop more questions. Five minutes. Okay, go. You can do this for 10 minutes. Remember, change closed probe to open probe, open probe to closed probe, just like you did in the first exercise. So play with that a little bit. See if there's other second or third order questions that evolve from this, this piece of the conversation. Then decide on your best three questions. We don't have it up there right now because we're going to uh, get a demo in a second. But still, please, if you want to do this ahead of time, that's fine too. As you think of your questions, it's going to be A1, A2, A3 per table. All right. So just get them loaded. And this archive, by the way, I'm going to download and we'll make available to everyone so that you will be able to see everyone's questions for both exercises. All right, so that's the, the idea behind this. All right, 10 minutes on the clock, go. As you're reporting out, uh, make sure that you type these in, um, A1, A2, A3 by your table name, and we'll make sure to share those with everybody in the room. You good to be starting out again? All right, thanks, Greg. Okay, uh, our questions uh, relating to this statement are as follows. The first question is, does price provoke the value feeling or does the value feeling exist independently? Um, another, what's that? Yeah, does, does, does price provoke the value feeling or does the value feeling exist independently of price? Wow. Um, the next question we have are, is this, is since feelings are dynamic, how do you reflect that in a contract that is static which and a lot, and we, we tied that back into what you were with your graph, Paul, where you were up here going, it, it changes over time what people feel about the value of that. So that was part of our conversation. Another question that we have is uh, why can't it be both? And yeah, you guys, do we steal one of your questions? Yeah. And, and, and I think, you know, as, as I, I mean, I, I guess I'm projecting a lot on my fellow table mates, but, but it seemed like the, the, the big question of that is if it's, it, we kind of have to make it both. If value, if we have to go from value to a price, it kind of has to be both at some, at some point. And then uh, our final question uh, is this, uh, when you take LSD, don't numbers become feelings? <laughs> <laughs> and... What's the answer, Greg? Well, no, <laughs> there's, well, well, sometimes, sometimes a value proposition does smell like yellow, but, um, uh, but, and then another question that that spawned is, do you know a guy who can hook me up with some LSD? <laughs> so, more of a close, more of a closed probe. Close, close, uh, okay. I, I like that. Good balance. Uh, yeah, Excellent so. job. All right. <laughs> Super. <laughs> All right, we stuck to three this time. Um, 
first one, what are the possible feelings that value creates? So what kind of feelings are we talking about? Uh, number two, does valuing feelings cheapen them? Mm. And number three, how do you define a high value feeling as opposed to a low value feeling? Okay. Any, Any other feedback? Good, okay, great. So similar to the first table, uh, is this a false dichotomy between numbers and feelings? Um, if value is a feeling and not a number, how do you measure ROI? And which feelings imply the greatest value? Hmm. Okay. Oh, these go, yeah, sorry. Okay. Uh, we, we did ask, at first up, why can't it be both, a feeling and a number? Uh, so don't like your assumptions, Ed. Uh, <laughs> secondly, uh, how does the number, when it's put, how does that number make you feel? Um, and our last question was, uh, is pricing justified torture? No, that's not. <laughs> <laughs> that was not our really, that was re not really our question. The, the real question was, what makes a client say yes to a number? What makes a client say yes? Okay, good. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's right. All right. <laughs> okay, so um, the first one was how do we define value to customers if it's a feeling, not a number? Okay. Um, how do you feel when you hear the number one, and how do you feel when you hear the number two? And when would value not be a feeling and a number? Hmm. Okay. Thank you. Okay. We had, um, if valuing is an art form, is it teachable or does the valuer need an innate talent to be able to do so? I suppose when we looked at maybe um, a lot of people can play a guitar but not many can play it like Jimi Hendrix, so do you need that innate ability to be a good valuer or can we when we train people across our team to do so. If you were to paint a portrait of value, would it be considered art and would the value, and what would the value of the art be? So a bit esoteric there for you to finish. All right. <laughs> Good, so let me get some feedback, just uh, yes, no, or shake heads, or if you want to uh, say something, grab the microphone. Was it harder to do the second one than the first one? Yes. yes. Yeah. Right, and probably not because you were tired, although that was part of it. Because I have to say, this is the most exhausting and most challenging exercise I personally have ever participated in when I did it. This, I found this to be really, really hard. Yeah, let's get the mic to, to Greg. What we found at our table, too, is it was very difficult not to go into solution mode. Yeah. Like, I mean, that was, the, it, and we, so we, we did go into solution mode. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely, yeah. Uh, yeah, so that, that, that's clearly part of the, the challenge. What, what, what Ron and I, well, first of all, anything else, a debrief on that? One of the things that Ron and I, and, and again, we, we had other questions prepared, and it was at the last minute that we just changed it to that one based on what was happening earlier today. We were gonna ask about are timesheets are ethical. We're, there's gonna be a, a question for each table. Um, use of timesheets can be use of timesheets can be justified, but we said, you know what, the hell with the timesheets. Let's talk about value. 
And here's, here's why, is we hope, and I, th I think this is true, we're gonna get the feedback from this, I think some of these questions are gonna help you with future value conversations. Right? Especially that, the LSD one. Yeah, especially the LSD one. Maybe if you give your customer or prospect LSD, <laughs> microdosing, Ron and I did a show on that, we did a snippet on that about microdosing, microdosing of LSD and how it's, it's actually been proven to, to help people. And uh, we came down on the side of, if given the possibility, I would definitely try it, Ron would not. So we're, we're, we do disagree on some things. Okay. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> so can, really, seriously, congratulate yourselves. That is a tough exercise. That is a tough exercise. So, uh, so really, if, again, I, I would love for you to play with that inside your organizations and let us know how it plays out. One other method to doing it, uh, we, did, we decided not to do it here, is to do the torture one first, like in the morning, and then do the second one separate, because that gives you your chance of brain to cool down a little bit before perhaps coming back up. So I just wanted to throw that out as a possibility if you're using it inside your firm, maybe consider breaking over it. We decided that we just wanted to get this all in one spot. Uh, and you're, you guys are advanced, anyway. <laughs> Okay, uh, so, so, yeah. What happens when you don't do the torture question first? What's been your experience? When you don't do the torture question first? What's it, it breaks down quickly. As hard as this was for you the second time through, it, the exercise at, broke down. It, it broke down. They couldn't. They couldn't. They, they couldn't go any. They, they couldn't go any further because it would, they, they had to learn the process first to push themselves pat, to push past it, right? So when we tried to do this and just just did the question again, this is one of those things. You know, what do you cut out of a program? Well, we we found is don't cut out the torture question, right? Because it, it really doesn't make it make it flow all that well, and because it's so much more difficult the second time through, because it's something you're familiar with, you're going to go into solution mode. I assume that again, in all seriousness, very few of you have been actually tortured in any significant way or have tortured other people. Uh, I would imagine that if we were, you know, doing this in a room full of people who do torture people for a living, perhaps dentists, that it would be <laughs> more challenging for them. <laughs> to to do the exercise all right okay so uh, what I want to share with you quickly just to wrap this up uh, got about uh, five minutes and we will take we'll take a break before we get get started on this I want to share with you some of the best questions that I've encountered uh, in some cases these were you know helpful to me I made them up just discover them and other in other cases I stole these shamelessly from other people and I'll, if I remember where I'll tell you but some, in some cases, I've just been using these and I can't remember where I stole the questions from. Uh, those of you who are at Art of Value will remember the first question, right? And I think this is, what, this is the only closed probe question that appears on this list. And that is, the, the best question is, would it be appropriate at this time for me to ask you questions? And I can't tell you how important that question is, especially around the whole value conversation. Because if the person is not ready to be asked questions, then if you try to attempt and force the value conversation on them, it will not work, right? So asking this permission to ask, is, it would now be an appropriate time for me to ask you questions. And I, I do this instinctively. I think, in fact, I did it with a couple of you. You've asked me some stuff, and you've gave me, you gave me some background, 
And I, I don't even think about it anymore. So it would it be OK if I asked you a few questions about this before I gave you an answer? Right? And so it, it's kind of instinct at this point. This second question is one of my favorites. What is the crossroads you face at this time? Remember I talked about the, the power of questions of being ambiguous, edgy, personal? Right? This is a great example of that. Notice the use of the word crossroad. Do, do you hear that word often in business? No, not at all, right? What decision are you trying to make? Right? What's the ROI? Blah, 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 blah. It's all couched in, in business language. What I found in asking this version of that question is I got much broader answers. The, the, the conversation was much more free-flowing when I used the word crossroad. What is the crossroads that you face at this time? Right? So we get more and, and better answers on that. Uh, I love th th these two actually go together, right? What is the story that you keep uh, that you keep telling about the problems you face? What's the narrative? Right? Every single one of your firms, in fact, every single one of your lives, actually, but even as a firm, your firm has a narrative, a story that you keep telling over and over in what I call out by the campfire. This is the modern equivalent of the campfire, the projector. Right? It sits on the conference room table. Some of the, I actually have warmed my coffee by them. <laughs> right? So we, we, we warm up to the glowing embers of the projector in the middle of the conference room table, and we tell stories. Right? And so what, it, what is that narrative? What is that story that you keep telling yourself over and over about the problems that you face? Uh, this is the one that, that is a, if you remember the how versus what matters, those of you who weren't here, don't worry about it, but this is, what is your contribution to the very thing you complain about most? Right? This is, this is a significant question to ask leaders and managers and organizations, right? Because they're, to find out what, what's the behavior that they do that allows the thing they hate to keep happening. The example I used at the other at Art of Value was a CRM system. Like, if you're not going to fire your lead salesperson for not using the CRM system, don't try to implement CRM. Don't do it. Right? So, because it will be an abject failure. Uh, this one is the, the what is the value that your organization can create for your customers? Right? And this is, this is, I, I, uh, this is the, to me, this is the, the starting point for strategy. This is the place where you start if you're going to have a strategic conversation two, three, four, five years down the road. What is the value that your organization can create for future customers? Not current customers, but future customers. And then, of course, how are you going to go about doing that? How are you going to create that value in the future? Right, so the, strat the lead strategy question, which is if you look at any other strategic planning methodology, including balance scorecard, et cetera, they get, they get to this stuff secondarily, but the first question is always something about a financial metric. You know, what's going to be, our, what's be our, our, our revenue two years from now, five years from now, 10 years from now, whatever the point of strategy is, the first thing is, well, what's that target? What's that revenue target? And then everything else is supportive of that. This one says, no, 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 let's not start with revenue. Let's start with customer value first. That makes sense, right? And it becomes a very external question as opposed to an internal question. 
This is my, one of my all-time favorite questions. If you listen to the Sage Advice podcast, which is another podcast that I do for Sage. So there's the, the Soul of Enterprise, work with Ron, but then I do this Sage Advice podcast. Right, some of you have even been guests on it in interviews. This is my closing question to every single guest who's ever been on that podcast. And that is, who is a hero of yours and why are they a hero? Right? And I get fascinating answers from this. This is the question that if I could only ask one question on an interview to determine whether or not I'm going to hire someone, it would be this question. I get more insight into a person by asking this question than any other question I've come across. Say, what's that? I'm saying, say it loud, please. Yep, so, and, and this, this guy, I gotta set this one up. But about, I don't know if it's half, it's probably 40% of people usually name a family member. Mother, father, sister, brother, something like that, right? What's interesting about that, and this is in the, the States, I can't say I'm not a lawyer, don't play one on TV, and, right? But what's interesting about that is if they, if they, ask, if they respond in that way, you know, my dad is my hero and here's why. I can ask about that relationship now because they brought up that. They brought it up, right? And I believe the number one predictor of how people behave in business is how they behave at home. But you can't ask that question, <laughs> right? So tell me about your relationship with your dad, <laughs> right? Can't, they can't do that. But you can ask that question. And if honestly, about 40% of the people name a family member Right? But I can then probe that, and I find that interesting because I think that's very helpful. Right? I find it interesting, and maybe some of you thought this, and this, the, only in, this, the, the only incorrect answer for me is I don't have any heroes. I don't have any heroes. That is usually then bracketed with, but I do have people I greatly admire. Which is weird, because if you look up the definition of hero, it is <laughs> people you greatly admire. I, I think, unfortunately, the term hero, in some cases, we interpret it as, like, saint. <laughs> right? Steve Jobs was apparently a miserable SOB to work for. He can still be a hero for what he did with Apple, not how necessarily how he treated people. Right? So I think that's really the, the, the distinction in my mind. I, I, I really push back when people, I don't have any heroes. None? Zero? You don't know? Well, I have people I admire. Okay, now we'll have a conversation. Right? And the why is usually the most interesting part to get to your, to further that bill. So it's not just who, but why. What, what aspect about that? Because they will name some behavior that they admire, and I can tell you that most likely that person exhibits that behavior to some degree, right? Because they're, wor they're working on that in their lives. And then this, of course, is, again, Peter Block, B-L-O-C-K, in his answer to how uh, is yes, he posits this as the mother of all questions. Every question, if you break it down far enough to its, to, to, to its origin, is really this question, right? And he says, this is, an, this is only something that you can ponder, you can't answer. What is the question that if you had the answer, would make you free? 
What is the question that if you had that answer would make you free? Whoa, I need some, now I totally need some LSD <laughs> for that, yeah. It feels like uh, you can't answer that question because you can't have an answer until you have a question. It's like circular. It is, it, well, because it's asking about a question. Well, the question does have an answer. Right. What is the question if you had the answer making for you? Let me get real deep on you. I'm gonna do, is there an afterlife and will I go to heaven? If I had that answer, I could be totally free to do whatever I wanted. Right? That question makes an assumption, though. That question is an assumption. It is an assumption. And that's what's so great about it. <laughs> it's not only a question, it's also an assumption. It's annoying. <laughs> I am, good. Good. <laughs> I am glad this question annoys you. <laughs> that's the, I'm glad this question annoys you. <laughs> No, it, because it, it, is, it is annoying. It's an annoying, it's an annoying question. <laughs> because you can't answer it, you can only ponder it. it I think it's the fact that it's an assumption that makes it annoying. Well, but here's, but here's the thing. So, so if you break this down in the exercise like we just did, you know, what do you mean by free? <laughs> right? What do, you mean by, what do you mean by free? Would make you the most free. Does that make you feel a little bit better? <laughs> what is the question that if you had the answer would make you more free or the most free? Okay, <laughs> good. No, that's good. <laughs>